We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagra people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Do you want me to do it? I mean, do you want to do it? You can do it. I can do it. You do it. I'm happy to do it. Oh, no, I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Old Mate Flood. Um, Matt and I are here with um, our good friend, John. Hello. Um, it's really fantastic to have you on. Thanks for t- yeah, time. Th- um, thank we, you. We got John on because he's spent some time working in the arcane industry that is the media. Um, and I don't understand it. I also don't understand it. So we wanted to ask questions and get a bit of a sense of what's going on. Um, Particularly given that Kevin Rudd is doing a big petition at the moment. Very important thing. Has anyone signed the petition? No. No. um, No. Because I'm in the Greens and we don't care. Yeah. Well, this petition is going to be different. Um, What's what's going on, Matt? Uh, So what's going on is that... Kevin Rudd has a petition that he's put forward, which I believe is got the most signatures of any, like, I don't know what the, the formal petitioning platform is, but it's got the most, it's got half a million signatures on it for a royal commission into the Murdoch press um, and into News Limited and into Rupert Murdoch's, uh, the massive amount of power that he and his company wields over the press, both here in Australia and worldwide. Now, while we, of course, think that Rupert Murdoch is a pretty bad person and the Murdoch press is a bad thing, uh, there's also this idea that Kevin Rudd has. Uh, it, we think generally the the Murdoch press holds a particular role in the mind of the, the Labour Party and the centre-left and of, like, Guardian reader types, which is as this kind of final boss of capitalism, as this kind of villain looming over everything and there's always seems to be this idea that like if we could just get rid of them and their pernicious influence and the way that they trick people then you could fix it like that's the problem and we think this is not quite the right way of looking at the media and thinking about it it's always given me the shits for sure because like the way that they carry on about like murdoch as yeah like as, as the reason why we can't have nice things like without the murdoch press convincing all the like the filthy, stupid pause that, like, you know, they need to support the Liberals for this reason or that reason or whatever. We would have this, like, beautiful Australian social democracy or whatever it is that the Labour Party even wants. Um, Yeah, and it's also interesting because the centre-left also see this sort of battle between the ABC as being, like, a left-wing or in in the centre-left brain as being, like, the true media of Australia. And then Ribbon Murdoch being this like evil sort of media rather than how I would see it as a sort of in Australia, there's a spectrum of ideological like bases in these different media publications. Right. But the ABC, and we'll go into this later, is not a left wing organization mm. at all. Yeah. So, yeah. So I thought we'd uh, first up, uh, John, can you tell us a little mm. bit about your background? You've yeah. Been, uh, Done a few different jobs and been a reporter and then a, done a couple of other things, working for both News Limited and the ABC at different points in your career. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I started working for News Corp 
while I was still at uni. Um, so that was my second year of uni and I worked there for two years uh, as a business and a lifestyle reporter. Um, I did a few other things as well, did a little bit of court reporting, um, helped with state political reporting um, a little bit as well. Uh, then I got involved in the Greens and sort of decided to leave New School partly because of that. Um, and I went back to uni um, and then I got in a job at the ABC, which I worked at for two years. Um, and then budget cuts happened and sort of I was on the chopping board there at the ABC um, along with the, all the other casuals that work there and a lot of part-timers and a lot of people who are on contracts. So I believe the ABC roughly used to have about roughly half of their staff were casual or contract staff. So quite a lot of people were let go. Um, and that's also something that wasn't really talked about much in the media was the amount of like casuals that were losing their, their jobs because they were already on pretty low hour contracts anyway. So yeah, so I did that and now I'm actually back at uni doing social work. So doing something quite different. Um, yeah, every time I've actually hated being a journalist for quite a long time. What about it? Like what sucks? Cause like, um, no, I have this yeah. fantasy of it, right? Of like, like uncovering information and you know, Truth to power, that sort of stuff. Wearing a like, hat with a uh, press yeah. and a little badge. And Meeting like, dames, I believe. Yeah, one there's dames. dames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that... The, Did you meet any dames? <laughs> no. The whole no. podcast is just about, <laughs> about dames About dames, now. yeah. I, I love how Flood has this, this radical change in Flood that's going on. <laughs> I enjoyed it also when we did the, the true crime and the cult stuff. Yeah. Maybe Flood should just go down that path. That's true. We should yeah. we should find a crime and just make this a, a true crime podcast. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. Um, yeah. yeah. I think what I what I loved about being a journalist was meeting people. That mm. was the best part. And also, like, you sort of get paid to meet people, which is quite enjoyable. And uh, you, so it's you like being of, a door knocker. <laughs> <laughs> but without the without pay. Without the pay, <laughs> yeah. And you sort of... It gives you... Because it's not often in our normal, like everyday lives that we get an excuse to just talk to strangers. Um, so maybe that's why I also enjoy door knocking, you know, um, so it comes from the same part. Um, the parts that I hated though, completely overwhelmed that. Um, the parts that I hated were obviously the long hours, um, the sort of public facing aspect of it, of how you couldn't shit post on Twitter, for example, without it being a reflection on um, your entire being as a journalist. And I think like the last Flood episode like really links well with that. And I was listening to that really made me think about all the times I like deleted posts on Twitter <laughs> after I did them. Cause you sort of think, oh, what if my editor or what if my chief of staff sees this? Which is such a shame. Think of all the wonderful posts out there, like languishing mm. unpublished. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the Twitter graveyard, yeah. Well, not even pre-Twitter graveyard. Anyway, sad. sad. Um, and what really got to me was putting in like 12-hour days, running around, interviewing people, spending hours on the road driving, um, getting so much footage and everything. And then you watch the news and there's about five seconds of footage used. Um, and that's sort of like you put, up, you put in so much labor and then there's 
you you don't get anything out of it in the end um and so it's like oh well this is not worth spending my life on yeah is that like because that like like they don't want to tell like more complicated stories or just because it just takes a huge amount of work to produce like a small kind of like like comment section yeah i I i think it's because it takes a lot more work um than the product that you're getting at the end right and you would you would see it when you make a podcast for example how many hours would you put in for a one-hour podcast oh but yeah it and that's essentially it it would it would you would have you would have to spend sometimes 12 hours on the road um just to get you know 30 seconds the film and TV industry yeah. has always struck me as wild for that whenever I've had even just glancing encounters with it. Like I was a, an extra in an Optus commercial when I lived in Sydney. Um, it's an Optus commercial with Josh Thomas, the comedian, where I'm in the background of. But like the amount of uh, time and effort that goes into setting the whole thing up and then the dinky little thing that you get out of it, like being on set and looking around and like seeing everything in this huge crew kind of putting everyone into place and then like watching the finished result was like oh okay this is weird like why do we have this medium yeah and the amount of money Mm -hmm. the amount of money that you would spend on what are relatively inconsequential stories um is something that like really shocked me as well um like obviously i think it's like good that those stories do get covered but it yeah it's just like spending 12 hours on the road to get to a house that roof that the roof blew off during a storm like <clears throat> pardon me that was one of the stories i covered and you i spent all day no i spent three days doing that or something and it was just like this is this is bizarre this is so it's just your filling space which just yeah you're that the labor that i was putting in just couldn't handle it anymore so did you ever work closer to the, like, decision-making process? Like, the people who, like, saw your, like, you know, eight hours of footage and, like, you know, your your interviews with all these people affected by the storm, I presume, and were like, oh, yeah, we can fit 30 seconds of that in? Um, n- sort of. Uh, so, newsrooms are very... Then It depends where you work. Um, they can be very hierarchical, but usually, at least at the ABC, for example, they're not really that... Um, hierarchical so you sort of like get to sit next to your editors and your chief of staff and you get to sort of flow around and you're part of the decision making process i think from my understanding of in in newspapers it's a lot less so um especially because newspapers quite often uh get put together and edited and everything uh after you've probably left already or or you're sort of wrapping up for the day um but at least in television it's sort of there's a there's a bit more of a a working together between producers and editors and reporters and, and yeah, and camera people. So can you tell us a bit about what the environment was like at News Corp and then a bit about what it was like at the ABC and like, how are they different? Yeah. Different? Yeah, absolutely. So they, they were in, in the sort of um, daily structures of it, not that different. They had chief of staffs, they had producers, they had editors and sub-editors. Um, culturally, quite different. So the ABC, I would say, was incredibly centrist, um, 
very sort of far more professional uh, in their sort of daily uh, workings. Uh, News Corp, it was quite more acceptable to be uh, a bit of a character, I would say, um, if you were the right sort of character. And by that, the use of the word right is definitely uh, important there. If you were someone who had sort of these sort of hard right views, you were sort of allowed to get away with a lot more, especially if you're someone like Andrew Bolt, for example, um, or other commentators who could sort of get away with behaviors in the uh, in the office. Um, is that not, not that I've never met Andrew Bolt, but like those types of people. Yeah. I, I don't want to say too many names because... Yeah, you know, is that but, something that like you can even see it like even at the like the non... Like at, at the level of like the non-public person, like if you're, you know, if you just happen to have pretty shitty views in general mm. like that that that's true or like yeah is there a certain amount of like i guess public capital that needs to go with being i an think asshole? there's a certain level of public capital that needs to go there but i think it's also the two different cultures in that at the abc it, people there i think try to follow these sort of vague journalistic values quote unquote um a lot closer yeah and we'll probably discuss this later but this you sort of then in order to fit these values um, of journalism, you, you sort of cut off who you are as a human and you become this sort of centrist robot, essentially. Um, where I do think at News Corp and, and other publications like that, which there's not that same culture, while the culture at those places are bad, there is a lot more room for people to to potentially show a bit more of who they are as a person. Where did you prefer working? Mm. Um, oh, it would have been the ABC. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, they both had, for me, like culturally, both had issues. Uh, at the ABC, I never felt comfortable talking about uh, my own political opinions. Yeah. Um, you could do that at news? I felt I could do that at news, surprisingly like enough. Like they just wouldn't, like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And you could argue about it. Yeah. Um, I kept quiet on other aspects of my life. Like I kept quiet that I was queer where at the ABC, I felt more comfortable with like expressing my queerness. So yeah, that was, it's sort of that sort of navigating in a workplace. Uh, it can, it can be soul crushing. Right. Um, but yeah, very different cultures. So you had to sort of navigate what you show people in your workplace. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit then about like the politics of the ABC? Because there's this yeah. idea that, as we were saying before, there's this idea of the ABC as the good guys. Um, and there's certainly been like attacks on the ABC fairly recently from the right and from like the Scott Morrison government, because they seem to have this idea of the ABC as this um, like bastion of the left, basically which is perhaps not entirely true. Um, and there's also the same idea among a lot of the centre-left, which is the same thing. And, like, yeah, you perhaps perhaps have been suggesting that's not quite the whole story. So can you tell us a bit about um, what that was like at the ABC? And yeah. Like what the, yeah, the sort of the decision-making around, like, the politics and what kind of stories they were telling and what kind of values they had? Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm completely like confident enough to go into how they chose which stories to cover in terms of politics. I do believe that there's all kinds of 
like numbers they use and um, like algorithms they use to make sure that each political party gets a certain amount of airtime and all this sort of stuff that they try to stick to. But in terms of sort of the political culture of the ABC, um, and I think more debates have been had in the UK about this. There's a really good book called um, The Myth of a Public Service. Um, I can't remember the name of the author, but he sort of documents these debates that were had in public at the BBC um, throughout the 20th century about what type of media organization are we in relation to the political establishment um and for most of the 20th century the bbc saw itself as the voice of the political establishment it was only probably about since the late 80s that the that the bbc in the uk got sort of uh seen as slightly left-wing and i think now it's sort of swinging back and more and more people are seeing it again as uh, a voice of the establishment those same debates haven't really been had in Australia. Um, but from what I could see, definitely the ABC is time and time again, the voice of the establishment. We, well, not us necessarily in the left, but definitely on the center left and centrist and, and the right as well, see it as a left wing sort of organization. And that's only because I, in my view, there's nothing for them in so-called Australia, to really compare it to at the moment. Um, yeah, we, we don't have a left-wing media, right? Yeah. And and the establishment in Australia, the political and the economic establishment here, are left of Rupert Murdoch and, and Murdoch, the Murdoch press. Not Rupert Murdoch himself, but definitely what the his um, media empire, sort of the, the politics that they put forward. Um, and so the ABC sort of reflects those views and it might have, it might put uh, certain issues in a positive light, uh, Indigenous rights, for example, or uh, the debate on climate change. It does have a sort of tint towards that we need to take some sort of action on climate change. But that is because the establishment believes those things um, for various reasons. But I think at the ABC then, the a lot of journalists there, they don't necessarily see themselves as sort of upholders of the establishment, but they see themselves as these unbiased, in the middle, sort of viewers of the world uh, that can take these sort of arcane knowledge that they have because of their access to the halls of power and to big business and to leaders uh, in, in, in business and in politics. And they see themselves as these, like, as I said, arcane sort of, they can take that arcane knowledge and give it to us poor people on the outside and let us sort of see it, see the halls of power through them. And I think they then sort of in your sort of attempt as a journalist then to be this unbiased middle of the road conduit of knowledge, you do sort of lend towards centrism. And then you obviously in an attempt to continue um, having connections in politics, having connections in business. You become friends with these people over time. You become friends with police officers. You become friends with politicians, etc. And so you do, and I've seen it. I've had uh, personal connections of mine who at the start of their careers were very critical. They wanted to find out these stories. They wanted to um, 
do stories about police corruption or political corruption, etc. But over time, you sort of stop thinking in that way because you want to. You don't want to. You don't want to like get your sources angry, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to lose that source. Um, so over time, this these sort of attempts to keep at these values, this attempt to be this unbiased conduit of knowledge, means that they just completely lose any sort of. I would I say like critical sort of reasoning or critical sort of analysis that they might have had in their uni days or in the early days of their career. I sent it to the chat like um, before we did the thing. I can't even remember who it was, but one of the ABC journos being like, I proudly don't vote or like I, I proudly like spoil my ballot so that I that I truly can say that I like I am neutral in this. Yeah. Like, but like that's just that's real big journalism brain. That's yeah. insane, right? Like you can, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is something that is a common view. I think through a lot of journalists at the ABC, and I think it's sort of taught at like journalism schools at universities as well. Is that is something to look up to, being this person who is nothing really apart from someone who can produce content and tell stories but yeah. there's, there's also a real self-righteousness to it and a real like a a belief a pride in it that makes you that leads you to start thinking oh and this makes me better than you like there's a real kind of you know, i spoil my ballot that's i bet like that none of you would have thought to spoil your ballot yeah and i think that's journalists in the same way as uh, lawyers and priests and economists um, see themselves as sort of being above uh, everyday working people because you have access to this knowledge that other people apparently don't have access to. Um, and I think that's where part of that self-righteousness comes in as you see yourself as really smart because you get to talk to politicians and you get to spend time with smart people all day supposedly smart people all day. Well, they're leaders of our society. They have to be smart. Yeah. Um, and so you then, I guess you sort of ride that high. It feels, mm. you know, for some people, it feels really good when you get to um, speak to politicians and you get to speak to uh, leaders in society. So what was the, what was that process like at News Corp? Did you, were people consciously at any point being like now to promote right-wing ideology or? Yeah. I, I would never. <laughs> yes, I would. I'll, I'll never forget going into a. Um, it was one of like the yearly, essentially like an AGM type thing where we would talk about what's our plan for the next year, um, and they got all the editors and all the all the um, reporters in, and they uh, the editor of the Sunday version of the Courier Mail said, "Okay, our three step plan is we're gonna." Uh, bash Labor, bash the Greens, bash the unions. Uh, and that's how we'll make money. And it's like, okay, that's, uh, f- yeah, fair enough. That's, uh, that does not work. podcast has also done all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do more on that. Um, I think the difference between this podcast's effort to do those three things has been the make money bit at the end. But like, so it's still like framed as like, as a business decision though. Like, is it framed as yes. like a, and like what's, like because it sells more papers to bash the unions, Greens, and Labour. I guess or, so. I guess that would but, be the particularly in Queensland. Yeah. Like, like. So are they just selling papers to people who are already confirmed? I conservatives? think it's it's both. I think it's 
seen as a financial decision and that is linked with a moral decision. Like they see it as a, their moral duty to, to stop labor and to stop the unions and to stop the greens uh, in Queensland in this case. Um, but it's also part of News Corp's like um, foundational ethics is they say that they have a commitment to the free market. Um, and there's little, little posters in the News Corp building that say stuff like that. Um, oh, that's that's good. <laughs> and, and it's it's sort of it's strange. And I've never seen another business that has like that. It's, so it's along with like they have a commitment to uh, the right to know, to to liberal democracy, and to like to the free market. And so it's very much seen as it's it's when you when they say our financial the financial uh, what is it bashing the greens bashing labor and bashing the unions is a financial decision it is also for them a sort of moral and ideological decision that is well, really that is really interesting that you have a private corporation which is operating explicitly as a political organization yeah well i guess like because news calls been money losing money hand over fist for a while now yeah, right absolutely. like yeah so are they doing it in like it's a financial decision as in the people who own News Corp own other things and like preventing unions yeah. like, well, like it, it pains me to include labor in this but include like being like bashing unions bashing the greens and bashing labor is bad for people who own things is that like is that what they're kind of getting at or is it yeah. is it a little bit more like i think they also do view a lot of their readers as like uh being this sort of like stereotypical like Sunshine Coast property owner or Gold Coast property owner who's maybe a bit older yep. um, and is quite conservative, just lo- loves their rugby league uh, and hates anything that is left of centre. Yeah. Um, Do they have much of a plan like going forward as like the amount of people who like buy the paper I, and I own property? Yeah, like, I wouldn't know that. Yeah. Because yeah. there would be... Certainly a base of people who just are committed conservatives, um, like retirees and things who want to read that and like, you know, they just want their um, daily confirmation of their beliefs, as do we all. Um, and like enjoy... Thanks seeing- for tuning in, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like enjoy seeing um, Labour and the Greens bashed and like probably won't buy the paper if they stop doing that. Like to some extent, it's it's serving a market of people who are conservatives who if they picked up the courier mail tomorrow and the courier mail said like actually we've got think labor's got some pretty good ideas about some things like circulation might go down or like that demographic of people would say what's this shit and stop buying it well i don't know because i was just reading like like this morning a bit about how how regularly murdoch like does use his like media influence to support like incoming labor governments when the writing's on the wall. So it was, it was, it was a British, it was a British piece talking about like the way he was like Murdoch was making overtures towards Blair in like the early nineties. Um, but and then like, going through the history of Australia, like of, of Murdoch doing that in Australia and talking about like both with Whitlam being like, well, it looks like that's what's going to happen. And then meeting with Whitlam and then like donating to the Whitlam labor campaign and giving like advice on how to like design, like print ads to the Whitlam campaign. And then like, like turning on them in a year, year and a half and just like absolutely brutalizing them. But, but what like did quite explicitly support it. And then to some extent, I think did the same thing with Rudd. Like there was a big, like before Rudd, like the, 
Rudd quite like famously was meeting with Murdoch and Murdoch was very neutral on that that election. I think it's because if a news organization loses access to politicians, if all of a sudden politicians uh, say, no, you're no, we're not going to give you uh, stories, we're not going to leak things to you anymore, we're not going to uh, give you exclusive interviews, you will lose financially because you won't have those breaking or exclusive stories. And I think that's why News Corp would see the writing on the wall of certain governments and decide to support uh, even vaguely uh, the opposition party because the hope then is when that opposition party gets into government, if those politicians thought that uh, your newspaper supported them in some way, hopefully they will give you access that they won't give to other news organisations. Yeah. So it is a financial decision yeah. in the end, So I, and, and like all corporations, and... They will always choose profit over. Yeah. Well, the other ideology. the other part yeah. that this article was mentioning was that, and it was before this happened. So the article was written in '94, but it was talking about you know expecting expecting the Keating Labor government to then change the media laws and facilitate like Murdoch owning multiple things. I like which I didn't have the time to do the res- research to find out. Well, did did the Keating government do that? Like, did they? You know, I could, like eventually there was some. Uh, reforms passed on that which enabled Murdoch to, to own more things even in uh 2016 there were some new laws passed which like mm. uh, I believe let Murdoch own a um, a TV channel and a newspaper in the same city something yeah, like well, that Yeah well that's what that's what this was talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. it was well, we like, read the same thing yeah, yeah. um it was talking about it in like yeah, yeah in 90, like in 94 yes. being like yeah, yeah. can can he can he play I this? wasn't totally sure like yeah I wanted to so um I wanted to talk a bit about uh, Murdoch's history, basically, in this context, and because I was reading a lot about it for this thing. And one of the things that jumped out at me was, okay, like, there's this idea on the centre-left of Murdoch as omnipotent. Like, he's the mastermind. He's, like, the demon behind everything. He's, like, the one guy who is pulling all the strings. Which just me so much as, like... Like, and, that, and that's the reason why we can't have good things on the left, yeah. as though we're not going to eventually have to come up against institutionalised power in the form of capital, potentially media-owning capital. Like, we can't just say, oh, it's a bit hard because of this circumstance, as though that mm-hmm. it, it might just, like, wither or fade at some point. Yeah, like, well, it struck me, it's very similar to the role that, like, Vladimir Putin occupies in, like, people who are worried about Russia. It's like, oh, no, these are not institutional problems. These are not, like created by a tendency of capital to do certain things these are not like inherent structural problems these are just it's one guy who's doing bad things because he's bad and it's like a bond villain like yeah there there seems to be like a little bit of waiting for murdoch to die and then i guess news corps will be good again like but the thing is i I think and this is the center-left brain right like they don't see capital as the problem and they don't like news corp is the same as any other corporate like big corporation big global corporation that we are going to have to face in the future and they operate in the exact same way as any other global corporation does but because they're a news organization and and they are more public facing and it's sort of easier to see the politics the center left sort of sees them as the villain when you know Amazon is just as much as a villain, or any and and what we just built, Labor just built a or approved an Amazon fact warehouse here in Queensland. Did they fuck them? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure they did. Joe, fact right. check me on that. Yeah. One. <laughs> so, 
So I looked into it. So, yeah, um, Rupert Murdoch, uh, born in 1931, I believe, so insanely old. Um, when he was at Oxford in the 50s, he was quite close with the Oxford Communist Party and spoke at socialist meetings and had a, a bust of Lenin in his dorm. And they apparently called him Red Rupert. Which is really surprising because I, I, like, I looked at, at like his parental history, right? And so his dad was like his, his dad was part like the son of a Presbyterian minister who immigrated to Australia. And like when his dad went to to England, like like had doors open to him through like business connections of his family, as well as like Deacon, like the prime minister, like opened a couple of doors for him. So like even like even Rupert's family were very much like the like part of the Melbourne institution. The grossest thing I found out was um, uh, Rupert's mother, Elizabeth, um, met Rupert's father because he saw her, like, debutante thing published in one of the papers when she was 18 and, like, 43 asked, like, the journo to find out who it was, like, kind of thing, like, give me access to the child. See, the idea of, like, Rupert having a Lennon bust in his room makes me think of, like, same vibe as Obama reading up on Marx just so he yeah. could get laid. Like, it's a very it's a very similar vibe, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just struck me as... What struck me as interesting is just how long this guy has been uh, involved in public life, like how long we've had to deal with this guy. Because it was, in, like, he's been around since the 60s. Like, the 60s is when he started, started inherited a newspaper in Adelaide from his dad... And did well with that and then started buying out more and more of them. Started, like, pioneering, like, the modern tabloid in Sydney all through the 60s. Founded the Australian in 1964. Um, So, like, the Australian for 60 years now has been a project of Rupert Murdoch. Like, that's... And, like, has been doing the same thing for what seems like a very long time. And it's not until... He kind of goes back and forth. So as you like, as you said, he very briefly backed Whitlam, and then once it became clear that Whitlam was not in for the long run, uh, was behind Fraser for a while, and then backed Hawke and Keating, and kind of always the same thing happened in the UK, where he was very close with Thatcher, um, and was like having meetings with Thatcher. Um, there was a thing in in the uh, UK election in 1992, which Labour under Neil Kinnock was favoured to win. And then in a surprise upset, uh, John Major won instead for the Tories. And The Sun ran a, news, ran a headline that said, it's The Sun what won it. Um, in this, which is, which is also exactly what he said about Whitlam, right? Like when Whitlam won was like, like I, I did this. I, I'm the kingmaker of, of, you know, 70s Australian politics mm. yeah and that's, that's it that's an, that's it's important to view I think the especially the Australian because the Australian for a while now has not made a profit in a, in a while um, however Rupert Murdoch continuously like boosts it up with his own money um, and it is it for him I think it is a a way to keep in that in power in in the circles of power and to have a a voice for his news organization essentially and for his his way of making money um and that's what the australian has always sort of been has been this way because it was the first national 
uh, newspaper. And it was always seen as a way for Rupert to, to have this little bit of influence and to keep it going. And that's the thing. The Australian is probably, even though it's the, the newspaper that's making the least amount of money out of all similar-sized newspapers in Australia, uh, it will probably be the one that lasts the longest because I think Rupert and his, his dynasty, of, well, what's left of it, probably will keep propping it up for as long as they possibly could. Is there, what's the culture like in the ABC, like thinking of Murdoch and like the Murdoch press? Like, is it like discussed over coffee and shit? I, th- I think there's a, there's sort of, there's disdain and, and there's, there's. Because they're a, like, a, like impure journalism kind of thing. Yeah. Or, yeah. The, the sort of hatred for tabloid journalism um, coming from sort of what are seen as more respectable news organizations like the ABC. Um, they view tabloid journalism, and, and rightfully so in certain ways, um, as sort of being a bad mark on their names. Um, and I think that also caused a lot of trouble, right? Like ABC Life, for example, um, which was a, a very successful part of the ABC, uh, was recently cut partly due to pressure put on it, uh, put on the ABC by, uh, by Murdoch. Right, so they felt that ABC Life was taking away some of their sort of lifestyle and health coverage, um, and people, young people especially, were accessing that rather than buying uh, the Herald Sun or, or the Courier Mail, um, and so they they put pressure on the ABC to get rid of it. They argued that it's uh, uncompetitive, and yeah. Going back to like Murdoch, like claiming that he like installed like Whitlam and like his role in politics and like the way he like operates as this like bogeyman who like like this puppet master of politics is something that he's like used his long-term political influence and media influence to create like yeah like uh, like how much of this this actual influence like you know I, I don't think he was the reason that Whitlam won like obviously it wouldn't have hurt but like he wouldn't have changed he wouldn't have he wouldn't have swung in behind Whitlam if he didn't see that the writing was already on the wall. So then claiming this victory and then like what that's done to the, the Australian consciousness is, is to be reaffirmed again and again that Murdoch actually does run the show. Like Yeah, and the same thing's happened in the UK where the UK Labour Party have come to believe that they can't win anything without Murdoch on their side. And that's actually probably gives Murdoch more influence than his ability to swing elections as well. Yeah. And, and then it also causes you to... It causes politicians and political parties then to also see Rupert as the only reason they lose. Yeah. Is the other thing. And this is, you see it at the centre left here, especially the Labour Party here, and we saw it with the recent state election, um, is that they consistently blame Murdoch for all their failures um, rather than taking a good, long, a good, long, hard look at themselves and going, okay, what is our own problem rather than blaming uh, the Courier Mail, which I assume a lot of people who read the Courier Mail probably already don't vote Labour. And I reckon heaps still do as well, because they just read the, like, the origin coverage. And they're just like traditional Labour voters. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Well, like, NRL is also pretty important to to media here, right? Mm. So like We should the, do an NRL episode. Yeah, um, yeah I think my... Um, my we're, we're sports great. bros, aren't we? My, my grandfather is like a life member of Queensland Rugby League, so I'm going to say... I'm going to steal some valor. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, I certainly talked to people on the um, election day. Like, and I've noticed this before when you talk to labor volunteers, they constantly spontaneously bring up the Murdoch press. 
and they're like, ah, Murdoch's master plan. Like, I talked about this on our post-election podcast, a guy saying Murdoch's trying to split the left. Like, that's not, like, you've got to notice here that you did win the election, right? Like, so it's obviously not the case that Murdoch always gets what he wants. Certainly, like, it's it's clear that here in Queensland where Mur- the Murdoch press controls a lot of the media and controls a lot of newspapers in, like, Townsville and Cairns and things, a lot of like smaller local newspapers have all been bought out by Murdoch, but that doesn't actually stop the Labour Party from winning elections. And being that, like, even being the natural party of government in yeah. Queensland. Mm. And like, like, they're not even really, Labour are not swimming up upstream in terms of Queensland state government. Like, they've very consistently won elections. Um, so it's, and I, I think what this is rooted in, um, and this is very common kind of politics, is this idea that people are being tricked. And it's this idea that Labour and the centre-left have that everyone would naturally vote for them because a Labour victory is naturally in everyone's best interest. But people don't realise that because they're being tricked or because they're too stupid or they're too racist or they're being sold propaganda. And what we have to do is not advocate for a specific political vision, advocate for a positive goal or a vision of the world. It's just we have to get rid of all the bad information Um, and we have to make sure that people have access to the objective facts uh, undistorted by the, the lies and the tricks and then people will gravitate towards us because we're the we're right, basically. Yeah, and, and the Democrats, I think, in the US yeah. have a very similar mindset when it comes to the media there. That if if only there, the, the news, there were no lies in the news or everything was just everyone got access to the this truth that they believe in, um, everyone would naturally vote Democrats there, right? Or everyone yeah. would have voted for Hillary back in 2016. Yeah, why would you not? Um, and so... It's, I don't know if it's like still like that in the US. I haven't really read much like US media in a while. Um, sort of got over it really quick. But I think there's still quite a lot in these sort of liberal democracies that are going through these sort of struggles at the moment with a growing right wing populism. That they, the, the center left there thinks that if only, if only people saw the truth. And if only they had access to some sort of media that gave them the truth, then they would always vote for centre-left parties. And I think historically that is not the case. Well, like in Australia, right? Like that's that's definitely how the ABC is like understood to exist in this in this mindset. So there's already a contradiction there because we do have like a publicly funded the truth news service. Like, why isn't that happening in? Why isn't that happening in Australia then? Like, people do have access to the truth. Yeah, I think the centre-left would say it's because of uh, continuous budget cuts to the ABC. Mm. And I think they would argue that if the ABC had more funding, there would be more truth. And that makes sense. That more, rings true. <laughs> therefore, more people would vote Labour, which I I just don't think is the case. Did you feel like, it, like budgetary constraints were part of what prevented the ABC doing better journalism and like covering and like exposing like, like 
like the the real stories of what's actually happening in Australian politics, or is like yeah, I do think budgetary constraints will always be an issue yeah. for the ABC because it is it is so expensive. Yeah, and like also like I remember like as a as a kid, like when Keith Winshuttle was put on the board of the ABC and like there was a big conference, there was like the, the first confrontation that I was aware of was like in the Howard years where it was like, no, let's put like, you know, historians on the board who think that they've never been massacres of Indigenous people in Australia. Um, let's like, they, they cancelled Chaser and that brought in like, the, it's, it's all going to be fair, proper coverage now because the ABC was like this, this hotbed of leftism, like, with, yeah. you know, Backburner and the Chaser and like, do you remember when the chaser uh, climbed up Kevin Rudd's church? Because he was saying it was okay to climb up Uluru, and they were like, oh, okay. So he like went to his church that he pretends to go to. I mean, I don't believe that Kevin Rudd um, believes in God or anything, <laughs> but like they just went to his church and just like mountaineered up the steeple while he's in there. Um, we're like, hey, guys, like what? What of it? But even the Chaser, like, mm-hmm. do have that very, like, centrist, technocrat yeah. kind of, like, politics. More so that you've now. Been, more so now. But, like, yeah. also, they've, they've been working with the ABC for, what, like, yeah. 30 years, right? So you, It is work. something that, yeah, like, I was thinking this about, like, I definitely remember the old ABC from, like, when I was a kid. I remember you'd come home and you'd watch The Chaser and you'd watch Spicks and Specs and you'd watch... Uh, the fucking Glass House. Yeah, The Glass House. Fantastic. All of those people, like, are online being fucking centrist hacks now. And like, still on the ABC, right? Yeah. Like, Well, Adam Hills is fucking has a TV show in the UK and was online yesterday talking shit about Corbyn. Like... Yeah. I, I wonder how much of that is, though, that to get to a point at the ABC where you are successfully pitching uh, shows or your own ideas, how centrist... would you have had to become or have always been to get to that point? Mm. Or is someone who is on the left, like myself, do they just get burnt out really quickly and just get sick of it and leave? Yeah, become social workers. (laughs) Yeah, let's see how long that lasts. (laughs) Um, And I do think that that happens. I think quite a lot of people, and and you do see them on Twitter as well a lot, right? Mm. Is sort of young journalists who now are doing their own thing and who previously worked for the ABC or worked for the SBS and continuously ran into these walls and you eventually just go, no, I'm over this and they leave because they sort of learn at journalism school that the ABC is this place you go to uh, if you... You get a cadetship. Yeah, and and if you're someone who is critical of um, our society and you're critical of our politicians and you're critical of the economic system that we live in, you would go to the ABC, right? And that's where you would work and you would be able to use your critical analysis skills uh, in reporting. And I think they very quickly learn that that is not the case. Like what what stops you from being able to do that? And I think it, I th- because the ABC is the voice of, of the Australian establishment. Yeah. Right? So you... you it has a bit of leniency and you might, you, you can ask politicians and you can write stories that are critical of politicians and you can ask them questions that are a bit more critical that you might not be able to do at other places. However, as soon as you start genuinely analysing sort of the, the material conditions and, and the social conditions that cause those issues mm. and, and cause the problems we, we see... It will very quickly just you'll you'll start running up against editors who are like, oh, that's not really a story. Can you find, you know, can you find a more spicy angle? 
um, and no, it's uh, uh, as we all know, using sort of Marxist understandings of the world and materialist understandings of the world is not very spicy quite often, right? And it, it requires a lot of like sort of deeper thinking and deeper analysis that doesn't necessarily scream top of the ABC website. So are there any stories that you tried to run on the ABC that they wouldn't let you run? Um, yeah, there are a fair few. Um, I can't remember too many of them now. A, a, a fair few of the stories I sort of pitched about refugee issues were sort of seen as, as non-stories, mm-hmm. um, which I was surprised at at the time because the this was at a time where the KP120 rallies were sort of going off and a lot of people in Queensland were talking about the, the KP120 rallies. Um, and so that was something I was surprised at. And, and there were times, you know, where like high profile journalists were sort of talking about the Black Lives Matter rallies that were happening across the world and, and were coming to Australia as well and saying, oh, it will probably just be a few hundred people when everyone knew that these would be big rallies. Um, and younger journalists were saying, no, we, we need to put more coverage onto this sort of stuff. Um, and these high profile journalists were like, why? Why would you? It's not going to be a story. And then the next day we had one of the biggest rallies in Brisbane's history. It was massive, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess the thing is, right, if the ABC is a, a state broadcaster, then the state is not a politically neutral institution any more than a News Corp is. Then, like, while they may not have posters on the walls saying, we love the state, or, like, it might not be an official thing where you say, like, well, here's our ideology, this is what we believe, it's still very much there. And I think because... Uh, the angle of, like, News Corp and of the neoliberals since, like, the 80s has been this, like, libertarian kind of anti-state line where it's, like, the state is the the slow, clunky establishment that oppresses you and us, like, rich billionaire business guys are the exciting and cool alternative and where... And, like, the Australian still tells you this constantly. It still constantly says... Us here at the Australian, we're sticking it to the man. We're the rebels. We're not the establishment. We're that's um, and then like, but then it seems like the ABC kind of sees that and says like, that's correct. However, you're wrong, and the establishment is right. Um, and then so we're stuck in this kind of uh, oscillating thing, like kind of going back and forth between these two equally shitty poles. Yeah, and I, and I think that is partly also because we don't have a, a strong sort of left media. I'm sorry, floodcast, but we don't have a strong left yeah, media in, in Australia. Um, historically, you know, when we had large mass socialist parties and you did have sort of daily uh, socialist newspapers and, and uh, you even had in some places you had socialist radio stations, we don't have that, right? So, what's the next thing that we have here? We have The Guardian, right? Which boo. Is big boo. <laughs> yeah. Um, barely left, incredibly centrist, um, but people see it here as being far left, and then the ABC is sort of like the sensible left. Well, because The Guardian publishes Van Batum, and she's such a partisan hack that, like, couldn't be published elsewhere, right? Like, like the ABC could 
Oh, they probably do, fuck. But, like, the, surely the ABC would struggle to, like, give Van Vadim the same sort of, like, soapbox that The Guardian can. Yeah. And I think The Guardian see themselves as being incredibly left-wing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's, that, that is so painful in, in the context of, like, the dire need we have for widely available, widely accessed left-wing media in australia i was real thinking the other month that like like one of those real like there but for the grace of god go i moments like when i was like 17 18 19 and being like i'm gonna read the news and be smart um and like found like new matilda crikey and like the guardian and it was like it was realistically just like probably more to do with like formatting and stuff like that that i got into like new matilda and the new matilda like comment section and i avoided becoming a Guardian comment section person. I'm just, um, I'm, a, I'm really enjoying Guardian Declan. I'm really enjoying, enjoying just imagining Declan, but with the exact politics of like Van Batten. It's <laughs> labor hack Declan. It's the terrible, it's the terrible the future. Timeline. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think it's also important to note though, with the, the Guardian, they, no one, they don't have a very high readership at all. They see themselves as being this sort of, highbrow yet left-wing publication that and but they know for a fact that they could never have a mass audience and they could never have um sort of a popular level of readership because they are just and people see through it they see it as a bunch of highbrow labor party hacks yeah, yeah. it's like a, a particular kind of boober left thing that characterizes the guardian i was reading something just today that there was a some minor controversy in the UK where a columnist, Suzanne Moore, had quit or been let go or something from The Guardian for um, be making uh, transphobic comments, I think. She's been transphobic for a while, right? Yeah, and that's obviously a UK thing. But I was reading her, like, long rambling statement about how unfair it was and how it was all Jeremy Corbyn's fault and thinking, like, it was interesting to me because it really captured a kind of self-pitying boomer leftism where they simultaneously want to keep their radical credentials and like get out to the left of everyone else. But there's always some reason why they don't actually want to commit to any actual radical platform. And they certainly don't like anyone who actually runs on these positions, but there's always got to be some excuse for not actually having to do it while still maintaining the moral high ground. And that's the guardian readership to me, basically. Yeah. We've all door knocked these people, right. Who like, they, they really criticize you for being so much further to the right of labor. Like, and you just know that like walking up their, their front steps, that the house is worth like a million, million and a half and that they've comfortably got, you know, same again in super kind of thing. And, and this is one of the things that I noticed from Kevin Rudd um, is that he, like he did a video before the Queensland election saying, please vote for Jackie Trad. Um, and then he was releasing stuff complaining about the Greens with like news articles about Amy with their line that actually the Murdoch press wanted Amy to win, um, which is not particularly true. Like, um I mean, I've seen the uh, Despicable Shree. I remember seeing that one about yeah. John O'Shree. Um, yeah, like they absolutely hate the Greens and yeah, they like hate the left. When they actually go off on the Greens, like there was an article by Peter Gleason in the Courier Mail about um, us and how we destroy the state, which we will do. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. But the thing is, like, and this is where I think what we talked about earlier is that News Corp will always look after its profits before any sort of ideology that it has. And so I think they must have taken some sort of gamble and they thought that uh, the Liberal Party would win um, or the Liberal National Party would win at the state election, maybe just, um, and they wanted to get rid of Jackie Trad. And they wanted to get rid of Jackie Trad because it makes a good story for them, right? Um, for me, I thought like what they're what like both between the liberals and like like the conservative press was kind of pushing and hoping for was was a minority government and being like, look, we probably can't win this time, but if we do make it a minority government, we can at very least smash Labor with having been to, in bed with the Greens for the last four years, and you know this this ungodly Congress has created the mess we're in now, like in the next next electoral cycle. The thing is, they would they would always if we if if the Greens ever got into a position of having genuine power or if, or if there was a social movement that had some sort of street power, the, the Courier-Mail would absolutely hound them and absolutely destroy them and make what they, they did with Jackie Trad look like nothing. Absolutely. But it's just, yeah, like, it is just that politics of, like, oh, the Greens are secretly right-wing, actually, um, like... The kind of all the the moralism of like the left without any of the actual like results um and that like uh, that's been a thing that kevin rudd has been doing um around this whole royal petition thing is being like why won't the greens get on board the thing that shits me off so much about rudd and this thing is just jesus mate if only you had ever had any fucking structural power yeah. you were <laughs> like, prime minister do it yeah. then yeah Oh. It drives me so bonkers. Yeah. It drives me so bonkers. I would just love to see someone hold power in Australian politics and then wield it. Like, I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen that. Like, Howard didn't wield power so much as, like, like divert its course. It was, like, it, was, it was a project of irrigation as opposed to a project of fucking, like, you know, swinging a hammer. Um, and that's... Oh my god! I just want to see history shift in some meaningful sense due to someone's actions. Like I don't, I, I believe it's possible, but I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So this kind of brings me back to maybe the last thing I'll talk about. So, um, first, yeah, Rupert Murdoch and the Murdoch Press has evolved in tandem with neoliberalism, and he was kind of there for the '80s, talking with Reagan and Thatcher. And it's true that the emergence of the right-wing press. And the collapse of the old left-wing tabloids, like the uh, the Daily Mirror, I think. And, like, I don't remember the names, but, like, it used to be the case that the most widely read tabloid newspaper in the UK was a Labour tabloid. Um, and then they're all gone now, and it's all the sun, and, like, you know, the stuff that we have here, the Courier-Mail and the Telegraph. The replacement of these um, with these far-right sort of... Uh, libertarian kind of gleefully uh anti-woke and like feminist bashing and like openly racist because of course australia also does have the most openly racist right-wing press in the world and if you look at the cartoons they publish in the australian on a daily basis that would that wouldn't fly in england like england's press is fucked but like the australian will just publish like a like a blackface caricature of like a someone is like a savage with a bone through their nose and just say like what fuck you um but yeah so these have 
evolved in tandem with neoliberalism in quite a complex way. But what we're we're running up against now is, as we see, like, on the one hand, like the Australian, this kind of new right, thinking that they have this big advantage, really pushing to, like, finally gut the ABC, finally get rid of, like, the last traces of the public broadcaster, hoping to kind of maintain this total dominance. On the other hand, the, the, the Australian rapidly losing money and young people not buying newspapers at all because we have this little thing called the internet that does it. Um, and then also social media means that now, like, first you get all your news off social media, off your own, like, customized feed. But also, like, on the right, this kind of right-wing Facebook groups and, like, little conspiracy theory websites increasingly actually, like, getting too weird even for the established right-wing press. And so I've been seeing, you've seen this in the States where Fox News, which we haven't talked about, but obviously, like, is has the same role in the States, right? Uh People have been moving away from Fox News because Fox News said that Joe Biden won the election. And all of these, like, Trump supporters, they've been moving to these, like, new channels, uh, OAN and Newsmax. And even there's one called the Epoch Times, which is published by Fallon Gong and somehow has some relationship to, like, Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon and his shadow Chinese government. They hand it out up, for free. They, which they hand yeah. out for free and which loves Trump. And so even, like, Trump and, like, in, in Trump world, they've got their own fucking new things that are they've set up over there to challenge Fox because they think that communists have taken over Fox News. And, like, it's really easy to see what Murdoch is doing here as well, being like, well, actually, like, still a, pre- a peaceful transition of, like, you know, despite backing Trump pretty hard and making Trump possible in many ways, still actually doesn't want civil war like does really want a peaceful transition to the next government even if it is less friendly to him and his business interests which also isn't something he particularly fears because of the role he's played in in you know shaping the democratic primary yeah and i don't think they will be any more hostile really no i don't think they will at all if if anything but but even if they were mildly hostile that would still be better than like than civil war like i think he'd be willing to be like no like capitalists can take a bit of a hit to prevent like like Trump trying to hold on to power and and catalyze like 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 a genuine con- like political confrontation yeah. in the American state and and we we see it time and time again where capital sort of changes and and molds of the times so that yeah they'll take a tiny hit but it's better for capital than a, a tiny hit is better than a complete collapse no one's going to buy newspapers if they have to shoot each other on in a civil war. Yeah, like, realistically, they're just going to go and start, like, getting in touch with the Biden administration and, like, just making new contacts there, basically. But it's also, like, um, it it seems like some of these forms, like the newspapers and the TV channels, because of the age polarisation of our politics as well, are increasingly not going to be sustainable. Like, read somewhere the other day that uh, the average voter in America is 50 years old and watches six hours of TV a day. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Which is terrifying, right? And explains a lot. But, like, that's not going to be the future of media. I mean, it's going to be us who, you know, spend six hours on Twitter a day instead. Like, it's not going to... And it's not going to be you just kind of sitting in your room just with the same voices kind of blaring at you over time. And... It's going to be one of the things that has 
been happening and one of the things that Twitter allows you to do is follow individual journalists a lot more than um, a particular institution, a particular newspaper or whatever. And we've seen this pivot to uh, Substack, which is like a blogging website where there's been people um, like Glenn Greenwald, formerly of The Intercept, who is like, oh, no, The Intercept's cucked now. I'm actually like, it's like, I'm just going to do my own thing. And like, I'm going to build up a personal brand and it's going to be like, it, it, it's kind of, you build a relationship of trust with an individual person because you know that you can't trust the media because like trust in media is rapidly declining because people see all this stuff and they know what happens at the Australian and like they know what happens at the ABC. Um, and increasingly they, they think, well, the only people we can really trust are like individuals who work independently, you know, who have tried to build a, um, t- like takes, take a position outside the whole system. And so I wonder if the future of news is like less about newspapers at all. And if it's more about like, what are the obstacles to having a more like individualized journalism model? Yeah. I think the biggest obstacle I imagine would be financial Mm. to be able to, and, and and time, Mm. like finding the time to interview people, plan, record, put it all together, edit it and everything like that would be quite difficult for one person to do. My other worry would be though is is very if people following different journalists like individual journalists does that work for what we're trying to achieve in politics? For left politics does that work or do we need a a news organization that can that is big enough to reach mass audiences? Because a single journalist never will be able to produce this sort of content and the amount of content that's needed to sort of engage with people in a, in a mass way. Yeah, well, I was thinking this, like, you know, like best case scenario for our, like, our electoral project, which to the haters, please. Um, <laughs> to the haters. Um, <laughs> People no like people love to tune into things to to hate listen or hate watch like I love to follow some people online. Um, I think it's a, it's a long way before we would be ever be able to like influence firstly the state in such a way that we could then inf- influence like the state media apparatus in a way that produces the sort of like the sort of left wing, well not even necessarily left wing but like the, the the genuinely sort of like good journalism that we need to have a good sense of what's actually going on in our society and you know, therefore, like, the left can organise around that in a useful way. Like, that's... Even if even if we could win that in the next few years, could the ABC ever be that vehicle? Like... I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think a organisation that prides itself so much on being quote-unquote unbiased and and being so straight down the middle could ever become a sort of voice or a vehicle for working class left politics. I think it would always, and and this is something we've always said, right? That centrists enable the right. Mm. And I think something like the ABC in those values that it has of being so unbiased and being so both within the halls of power and trying to critique it, but not so much that you suddenly get kicked out by trying to stay within that sort of value and mindset 
it will always just enable the right and it could never sort of look towards the left. The closest I think any sort of public broadcaster like that has ever got was the BBC in the 60s did broke away from previous tradition in the BBC and started doing a lot of coverage on sort of the early queer liberation movement, um, on on the feminist movement, on the anti-war movement. Um, And that was purely because there were a fair few journalists there who sort of saw what was happening in the world. They sort of felt what was happening in the air and they said, no, like this stuff that's going on, it's part of a a bigger change. And that was like in the late 60s, around 1968. Which also makes sense to me because that was at this time of social democracy where like people genuinely did actually have quite a lot of control over their own life at that moment. And it, it, it makes sense that the institutions would have rep- like would have mimicked that, yeah, that level and, of and, cultural control. And I think sometimes journalists can be like a few steps ahead of other institutions um, in that they sort of, it, through their daily interactions with people, um, sort of see like, okay, this is sort of what's, what's happening here. And I think at the time the BBC just sort of made an executive decision that they'll reflect that. And they got absolutely destroyed for it by the Tories. Um, and that's sort of where it, the sort of culture wars around the BBC sort of started seeping in. Um, I'm not too sure about the history of the ABC here in Australia, um, about whether those sort of similar debates were happening at the time, but I'm, I'm could be quite possible that they were. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, like, what like what are the steps then for Flood to become the the glorious like left like leader in the Australian media landscape that ushers in like a fundamental terms on on of the the foundation of society to yeah. bring justice to all. I guess the question is: do do does does Flood usher in revolution, or does the revolution usher in the Flood? flood the mm. Flood, right? Yeah. Like, what is the reason? There were these sort of mass uh, left-wing newspapers, these large left-wing newspapers. Was the the reason for them the material conditions that provided a basis for that? Mm. And and these parties as well that people were part of, like, for example, the Italian Communist Party um, had one of the, the biggest daily newspapers in Italy for a long time. Mm. Um, and that's just because so many people were part of that party and they read it. And, and people who were sort of adjacent to the party also read that newspaper. Um, so are there those conditions and, and will, as the world becomes hopefully more suitable for a place where we could have mass left politics, would those sort of newspapers and those sort of media organisations just, or not organically, but through the efforts of activists and people on the ground, start having a, a space where they could grow or do we need to try to grow it and then people would come along um that's a, a whole long political debate i think i guess the example of the italian communist communist party shows us that it's not just about having the biggest newspaper mm. in order to win yeah um, yeah because um but yeah like i to kind of round it out, um, there's a documentary by Adam Curtis called The Century of the Self, where he talks about the invention of the public relations industry in the 20s and 30s, which struck me as interesting because one of the things that I found out about Rupert Murdoch, uh, he's entangled in an interesting way with the Freud family. So 
This is, of course, uh, Sigmund Freud, um, who you probably... I want to fuck my mother fame. I want to fuck my mother fame. Um, His uh, nephew, I think, Edward Bermes, was the founder of the field of public relations. And then the Freud family have had all these, like, public relations firms. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wrote it down somewhere. But, like, Sigmund Freud's great-great-grandson whose name is Matthew Freud, um, is married to Rupert Murdoch's daughter. And Matthew Freud owns Freud Communications, which is the most powerful public relations firm in Britain. Um, And, yeah, like what that... What Adam Curtis talks about in The Century of the Self is... Or at least what I took from it is about the development of the field of public relations as a way of managing uh, emerging mass democracy. So the 20s and 30s, especially in America, the 30s are the period of the New Deal. uh, And it's a period at which mass working class movements um, have actually been able, for really almost the first time, to reshape society in a dramatic way, whether that be through the New Deal or through uh, Clement Attlee's post-war Labour government in the UK, um, inventing the National Health Service and all this stuff, it was the point where, like, it became clear that, like, mass democracy is here to stay and that the old 19th century dominion of, like, a handful of capitalists doing anything they pleased with the world, that was over. And so public relations comes into existence as this way of uh, industrializing these like tools of social manipulation um, and about kind of mass producing and like replicating on a, a massive scale of millions of people these methods of ideological control. So instead of like directly suppressing the working class masses with just like the police and like the Pinkertons, you had to figure out a more sophisticated way of getting them to believe the things that you wanted them to believe. And I kind of think this is one of the reasons why the the dream of Marx didn't come true and we didn't have this inevitable working class triumph um, where, like, the New Deal wasn't pursued and didn't become this, like, total socialization of America. Um is because the capitalists struck back and figured out all of these ways to manipulate the masses and then these systems of, um, yeah, like industrialized uh, psychological manipulation became inherently part of the state and part of the apparatus of the mass parties. And then, as we've seen, like eventually the newspapers became more explicitly uh, political forces, like as with... We saw in the 80s, and Adam Curtis talks about this, yeah, the rise of the um, centrally controlled, the the corporate newspaper as an explicitly political institution that was designed to manipulate the public in this way. Um, And that's, to me, something that the left never quite worked out how to engage with and never quite worked out how to move beyond there's some of that in like maybe like Gramsci kind of starts thinking about this and then the kind of um later writers who I don't know that well but yeah that's that's kind of that little speech is kind of where I want to leave it and where I'm thinking about now is like 
this stuff, like these mass media organizations will probably continue to exist and there will continue to be these strategies for like mass ideological control and like setting the tone for what people believe and like organizing public opinion um, that the left kind of has to play that game as well. And I, I guess my conclusion here is I think the left has to stand for democracy almost above everything else. Like that's the basic idea of the left to me. And that's what I really believe in is the idea that people can uh, rule themselves essentially. And that like the average person is smart and good and that they are capable of making their own decisions. And that a society where like the average person had more power would be a more democratic society and it would be a better in every way. But I think that when we come to these, like these mass newspapers and like, we know that these strategies that capital can deploy um, for uh, dividing people up and politicizing people against us in all of these different ways, they're going to continue to exist. And I think that has implications for the democracy as a political program that are hard to come to terms with. Yeah. And I do think though, in that case, it is important then for the left to do projects like Flood yeah. and any other left-wing podcasts and the the little Facebook groups that we would have and, you know, just trying to build those sort of institutions. The, well, they're not institutions yet, but sort of building those ideas, starting to get that stuff working, but even just building that experience of then in however many generations it would take before we do see a more democratic world, um, that there is that sort of generational experience amongst leftists where we can sort of draw upon that knowledge on how to actually put up a fight in the media and how to like have our own media. And I think that's important that we do things like this now rather than just sort of going, oh no, let's just focus on uh, becoming the best activists that we can, or let's just focus on winning as many elections as we can. I think building those sort of cultural and um, yeah, media sort of organizations is a way for us to slowly, slowly, slowly build power. Well, in the spirit of that, please consider giving money to Flood's Patreon, something that we haven't actually asked anyone to do for a really long time, um, and we don't have any direct plans to use it for anything, but I think... Uh, we pay writers. Um, we'd love to pay some writers, but like, I think at, the, the reality is that we don't have enough money to, to use money in any meaningful sense. Um, and for us to become the sort of left-wing institution in the Australian cultural landscape that I think we could and should do. I think where we've got some of the better political analysis happening anywhere in Australia, um, here in South Brisbane, um, it would be fantastic to see, to have options about using resources that just currently don't exist and, and shown exist. But I would ultimately love to be able to pay people to go and like do a journalism. investigate things, do journalism. There's like a, you know, there's a few things I've been thinking about where it would be good to find people who actually have the skills to do this and pay those people money to go and get and then like break a story. Um, and yeah, there's all sorts of things that we've had conversations about trying to plan for this, but yeah. But yeah, in summing up, um, it's the vibe of the thing you're on and please give us some money. Um, and I will, what I will do is I'll break into Kevin Rudd's house and I'll shave off his beard. 
and I'll keep it. Um, the beard makes him look even more like the, the, beard the milky is, bar. Yeah, yes. Then, yeah. And fucking wild. The, I don't know who um, told him to grow a beard, but he has still he still pays like PR people. Like surely Why? someone would have said to him, "Hey, Kev, it does is he not know a good look. he's not been relevant to Australian political life for like a decade?" What a useless man. I hate him. Um, uh, and on that note, thank you for tuning into Floodcast. <laughs> <laughs>